Diane, welcome to In the Pews. Thank you, Rudy. What a delight to be here today. Thank you so much for coming over. I mean, not just driving over, but you flew all the way from Atlanta, right? I did yesterday morning, and I have to say it's my very first time in Texas. Never been to the state. And it had to be a warm day too, huh? Hot, toasty, <laughs> tell ya. Well, we get a lot of them here, and they get, they get worse. So I'm glad you're you're on a not so bad, you know, day here. It's 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 warm, but it's not scorching hot. Yeah, thank you so much for you know. I know you travel around the world, and you're finally here in Texas. That I understand you're a member of the Focolare. Yes, yes. I met the Focolare back in 1979 when I was finishing uh, college in Purdue University in Indiana, uh-huh. where I got my degree in forestry and wildlife management. And you're here to because the Focolare. You're going to have a an event happening here in Houston. Yes, yes. This is exciting because the group that I was in in Italy, which is called Gen Verde. Uh huh. Gen, G-E-N, and Verde, the color green in Italian, uh-huh. is coming here on tour. They are 19 artists. They're all people that have given their life to God, followed a call. And in these years in Gen Verde, giving that through music and dance and theater. So there's 19 of them now from 14 different countries. Wow. All women. And they will be coming here to do music uh, concerts. They will be doing workshops. They'll be singing masses because one of the fortes of Gen Verde is also liturgical music. If you uh-huh. go to any church in Italy, they'll be singing our songs. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So the different people, different walks of life all coming together. They're all members of the Focolare and they're just using their talents to right. to the, serve God. And the group has existed since 1966. Mm. So since then, probably 147 uh, have passed through. I was the 100th in the band. <laughs> wow. I was the 100th, and and it started back in 1966 when our founder is Katalubic, who recently passed away in 2008, and is right up for the canonization now in the process of, she gave a, a set of drums and an electric guitar to this young group of people in Lopiano where we, we lived in Italy. It's a, one of the centers of the Focolare movement where we go for our formation. Uh-huh. And so to the girls, they got the green drum and the boys got the red drum. <laughs> so General Verde and Generoso. Oh. So in those days, you can imagine the guys were really quick on it with the drums and the guitar. They know how uh-huh. to play it. For us, it took two on a drum <laughs> when they started. But it, with all these years, like over 50 years now, uh-huh. the, you know, they got to be more professional and we were more on the world scene. Now, let's talk about you and let's get to know you. Did you grow up Catholic? I did. I have a wonderful family. I grew up in Indiana, in the northwest corner of Indiana, not too far from Chicago, actually. And... My mother was always Catholic. My father was not, but he he, mm. came, he became so when he married my mom. Okay. Out of love. So my brother's 10 years older. My sister's six years older. We very united. We all went to the Catholic school. Uh-huh. A half a block from our house. Wow. From second through eighth grade. Uh-huh. And so we did grow up Catholic. It was a blessing. Did you know anything about the Focolare growing up? I did not. I did not, and 
even though God has a way of preparing, preparing you. Uh-huh. And you, when I look back, thanks to you for this interview, I've never told my story in public. Really? Ever. You know, in small circles. So mm-hmm. I hope that today is like, let's all sit around the fireplace. Yes. And let's, with our marshmallows roasting, let's tell our story. This time it's my turn. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those years, I always remember going to benediction with my mom when I was tiny, going to mass on Friday mm-hmm. and singing the Tanto Mergum in Italian, this little pipsqueak <laughs> and blasting it out, you know, and, and the, you know, the adults looking, what's this little redhead doing? You know, <laughs> and, and, but I always love, I just had that. I love the chapel. I love it when the, there was the exposition mm-hmm. of the Eucharist and, and I just stare at, you know, I don't know, there was something special. And I, you know, I remember I was in sixth grade and I had this wonderful, wonderful teacher. Her name was Sister Evelyn. And I would love to go to school. And I was so shy, Rudy. I mean, terribly shy. And even though you would like sing out loud during mass, yeah, loud and proud, you were still yeah, shy. But I was, t- I mean, sickly shy. But I'd still, before the school year would start, I'd go over and try to meet my teacher and help her set it up. And, mm. But this sister, Evelyn, I remember she said, remember, kids, grace is a gift. And, and she drilled it into us so much that through my whole life, I would remember grace is a gift. So I mean, following that, that golden thread in your life, you see how God made you experience certain things, mm-hmm. how he made you go through certain things. And even the suffering, I often ask myself, why, Diane, if you, do you feel you grow more when you suffer or when everything's going pitchy keen? <laughs> and I say, no. Actually, it is when, I, when I'm suffering, yeah. when I do go through something, and I have to look for the love of God through that experience yeah. and where he wants to bring me. So, and then, you know, even in the summertime, I'd I'd like to go to mass a little bit more during the week and and also to give back to God. Did your parents see anything in you of like a future vocation? I think, you know, my mom would always talk to me about her aunt babe. And her aunt babe was a missionary. And I think aunt babe always saw in my mom a vocation. And one day my mom told me, and after I had already entered the focolari, she said, you know, I think Aunt Babe has something to do with this because I didn't enter, but she kind of made sure that one of my kids did, mm. you know. And so you were the odds on bet in your family to be, you know, to have a vocation? Well, I don't think we even talked about that. Really? Because in, the, in those times, all they knew was, or you became a nun or you became, mm-hmm. I got married and although I loved, you know, the Sister Evelyn and all, I didn't feel called to a, a life as a nun. And, then, and so I said, oh, I'm, I'll get married and I'll form a family uh-huh. and bring my family up, you know, as close to God as I can. And I didn't know of an alternative. And I wasn't really looking for it. I was living the present moment in my life, mm-hmm. you know, being a teenager and yeah. enjoying it and... and and, you know, really a lot of contact with nature because nature is always key in our family. All our camping, our, our, all, all of our, 
our vacations were camping mm-hmm. because we were, you know, a middle-class family. We couldn't really afford to do a lot, but we loved it. And my dad, would, he sang barbershop growing up. Oh, that's I awesome. I mean, all, it was his hobby. He was a very good singer. So we'd sit around the fireplace. He'd build a fire, and we'd sing around the fireplace and do our outings together. So were you very musical growing up? I actually, when we had a piano in the family. Uh-huh. So when I was seven, I started with piano, but that's for like six months. And then when I was 17, I picked it up again, six months. But when I was in fourth grade, our Catholic school started the band. Mm. And that was the clincher because we had to do a music aptitude test. Okay. So they put these earphones on you, you know, when you're, I mean, that was years ago. <laughs> to see if you're tone deaf or not, and, I guess, and right? And you hear these little beeps and, uh-huh. and, so, and you had to write down what you did. And then that was fun because it, we didn't have to study it for that little <laughs> span of time. We had something fun to do, you know? Yes. And then we kind of forgot about it. And then after a while, we came back and each of us had a certificate with our score. And I got 100% on the, wow. on the, the aptitude test. Which is weird. And then it so had... So it was distinguishing notes, pretty much, or telling the difference between it tones. Sounds. And, it yes, was sounds. It was sounds. Which one's higher or lower or something of that sort, knows, I suppose. I don't even remember telling you the truth. <laughs> so then they took us in the basement. Okay. And if you know Indiana, they're big on companies that, that, uh, that fabricate instruments. Okay. So in the basement, they had all the instruments spread out, uh-huh. and according to your score, they would kind of lead you towards a certain instrument. Oh, yeah. You, so, we think you're good for this one. Yeah, or so something. They, yeah. Got, uh-huh. they, they led me to an oboe, and they gave me a little oboe reed, Okay. and they told me to blow in it, and it just tickled my whole mouth. You know? <laughs> and I said, you want to try and play an oboe? I said, what is it? I never even knew what it was. <laughs> so I went home, and I said, Mom and Dad, can I start the oboe. And they said, Diane, you can as long as you promise to practice have half an hour a day. Mm-hmm. As long as you do that, we'll make the investment. And I said, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine, I was, it, it's nothing worse than playing an instrument that doesn't, you know how to play and it sounds <laughs> awful. And you had no idea what it's supposed to sound I like. I didn't. I didn't. And my aunt and uncle said, Diane, let us know when you're going to practice so we won't come over. <laughs> and the cat, I just, with, with, just the minute you saw the, the, the case, uh-huh. the cat would beeline and you wouldn't see the cat. For oh, wow. That's hilarious. And that's how it started. So I'm saying nothing really came easy in my life. Uh-huh. I had to work for everything. And I thank God for that. And you said, uh, where did you go to university? At Purdue. Purdue. And at that point, were you already looking at some sort of vocation or were you still thinking, oh, I'm going to get married and have kids? Yeah, I had no intention. So I says, I'm going to... I'm going to finish college. My dream house is a log cabin in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go work for, which I did. I worked for the Forest Service and the Fish and Wildlife Service. And I absolutely loved it. Was that right out of college? That right you out it? of college. How long were you doing that? So I finished college and in May and in June, I was in Idaho working on the Targhee National Forest. So we drove out with three of my, my classmates and we dra- everybody got dumped off at a forest. So I was the first one 
And I went to the gas station there to ask for directions. And she says, oh, are you the new girl who's arriving for the Forest Service? Uh So it was a town of 250 people, Du Bois. Everybody knows. Knew that you were coming here. And that became... (laughs) One of my best friends, twice we'd we'd hung out the whole time with Carrie, this the girl that I met there. Uh huh. And it became, I mean, we were in the forest ten hours a day, four days a week. Then we did firefighting, and I mm. saw all those fantastic wildlife and the animals, and so that was my first job out of college. So when did you hear about the Focolare and and entering the movement? The Focolare I met when John Paul II came to Chicago. Okay. What year was that? That was 1979 in October. How old were you at that point? I was 20. 20. Okay. So still in that first... I was in my last year of college. Okay. And then what happened? Did you immediately get drawn to them? Or is it something that just kind of stuck in the back of your mind? Actually, you know, what happened is that they said that they're going to be able to see the Pope twice. My friends, because I was singing in the folk group at Mass on Sundays. Uh Uh-huh. And with this circle of friends, they said, we're going we're gonna to go see the Pope, and we're going to see him twice. I said, twice? How come? Well, because we're part of the Focolare movement. And I said, oh, do you think I could come with? So they made arrangements. They said, yes, you can come. So I popped in the car with, with um, a guy called Don Mitchell, and he and his wife and his kids actually lived right behind me in the apartment where I was. And, and with some of the youth of the parish, we went in the car. And then in the car, he told me the story of Chiara. Mm. And he says, Chiara was 23. It was during the war in Italy. And with all the, the, when the bombs were falling and the war started, and she says, and is there an ideal that no bomb can destroy? And she felt the answer in her heart. He said, yes, the ideal is God, God who is love. So from then, she says, well, if that is so, then I need to give my life to God. So they would run to the bomb shelters, she and her first companions. Mm -hmm. And it was those times when it wasn't common to have a Bible in your hands, Mm. especially a woman. Really? Yeah. Wow. And she was a teacher and working in with the Capuchins, I believe. And so she had this little Bible. She asked the priest. And in the middle of the bomb shelters, they would open it up. And the, and the first thing they said, were two or more united in my name, there am I in your midst. Uh, the prayer of Jesus, that all may be one. So as she was doing this, these words came to life, and they would go out and live them, and they would bring other people. They would, they, the bombs were going, but they would go in and gather people from the streets, bring them, they make sure that they were safe, and under candlelight, again, open it up again, mm-hmm. and read another phrase, and going to live it. So in those times, they thought that they were communists because they were living for unity. Uh-huh. You know, and so that that was, you know, really going against the sign of the times. So yeah. he was telling me this story in the car, and I said, you know, cool. 
And then when I got to Chicago, we were in uh, this beautiful in the old neighborhood of these big houses, you know, in, in Hyde Park, uh, Chicago. And we rang the doorbell. They left us girls at this house. And a woman from the Canary Island opened the door for me, and her name was Yanoa. And it was like I had known her my whole life. You know, when you, someone greets you and with so much love, with simplicity, and, and I just felt, wow, this is cool. And then, then I met an Italian, and then I met one from Holland, and then all over the people <laughs> from all over the place, uh-huh. because our focolaries are international. Yes. And, and then, you were comfortable with all of them. Yeah. They were just, just welcoming. Felt, I was felt good, and I was uh-huh. touched by the harmony of the place, uh-huh. how things were were laid out. I mean, the to- even just the towel laid out on the on the bed where you know in our room where we were staying. You just felt that you were loved. No. And the next day, so we went to the to Grant Park in Chicago for to see the Pope. Uh huh. And we met up with, and there's this little area where the, all the people, of the, the community, of the Focolari was. Uh huh. So there I saw. A bunch of people. I was like an oasis in the middle of this huge crowd. Uh-huh. Because there were people, you know, like you and me, and then there were old people, young people, uh, priests and nuns and, and every social class, everybody. Uh-huh. And there was, I don't know, you know, when you're with, sometimes you have these experiences where you have a joy that you can't explain. And it's a supernatural joy. Yes. And it, it and I think it was one of my first experiences of in a group of people feeling this joy that kind of goes beyond you, that you don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying a word. But there's a communication that goes you know, the, like a presence of God there. Mm-hmm. And it was in those days where I remember at home and you'd get knocks on the door and the people say, are you saved? And, and trying uh-huh. to convert you and all that. And I couldn't. And so these people, would, they weren't telling me anything. They weren't even trying. And you felt drawn and to them. And I said, so I had uh-huh. asked, what is this all about? Yeah. What's going on here? And I came home. I was just so happy and so I don't know. So I went back to Purdue, and on every Sunday, we would meet together with the group at the university. There was the, the priest of our, of our parish and this uh, married Focolarino, the one who was in the car who told me the story. Uh-huh. Because, you know, there's all the vocations in the Focolari. Yes. According to what you're called to, or even just to live a spirituality. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we would meet, it was called the Word of Life. So the word of life meeting takes a, a, a phrase of the gospel of that in the readings of that month, and Kata would write a commentary on it, how to put it into practice. Mm. And even though I went to Catholic, so this this is scandalizing, Rudy, because even though I went to all those years of Catholic school, this aspect of listening to the gospel, going out. And recognizing it and say, I'm going to love Jesus, my neighbor. I am going to try, you know, try and live out these words. Uh-huh. It, In your everyday life. It just it, wasn't there, even though I lived as a, as a Christian. I had that in me. Uh-huh. But to consciously say, 
I'm not going to judge. I'm going to love everyone. Uh-huh. I'm going to try because, I mean, we're, we're all human. And thank God we make mistakes. You know, thank yeah. God, thank God that's my <laughs> salvation, all the mistakes I make. So I'm not even scandalized by my own mistakes anymore. But there, so we read this word of life. I, I don't know if it was, um, you know, to, to, to see Jesus in your neighbor or something similar. So one of this high school girl that was in our group, she shared her experience. And this was in 1979, I still remember. She said, I am a slob. I leave my stuff all over the place. <laughs> my shoes here, everything here. Uh-huh. She says, but out of love for Jesus and my mother, I took my shoes and I put them in the closet. And I said, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Because I thought to live the gospel, you have to do a man. Incredible things. Oh, big, grand things. Uh huh. I mean, you have to do so much. So what did I do? I went back home, and I was rooming with three other uh, women. And I folded the towel in the bathroom nicely on the rack so that the next person would come in can experience the love. In that just that small way. And that's how I started. Wow. And then I cleaned up the dishes maybe left by somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then I understood that I couldn't judge somebody when something rubbed me wrong and I shouldn't complain. So these words, and you know, this word of life really helped me. Mm -hmm. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Because also being shy, I wanted to be accepted so you do things in a certain way because you say, well. Mm, just to fit in. And to, fit in yeah. and be loved. And even though I don't, I don't like to follow the crowd. Uh-huh. Not that. But easily hurt, yes. Uh-huh. Um, easily, you know, jumped to, even though I said, I, I think I was 21 before I, I ever even thought, you know, when you started thinking, oh, that one did this because they thought this and all that. Uh-huh. I, that. I think was also a gift from God of a, of a protection. Uh, he was protecting me from something because I didn't naturally judge people. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. And um, I don't know. You just see. You just see how he leads you. This golden thread. Uh-huh. How he leads. He has you experience all these things because he wants you to get you to this point, and then it's a whole new beginning of a whole new chapter. So at that point, is that when you started to really look deep, deeply into the Focolare? I just kept up with it. And I was one of the youth at the Focolare. We call them gen, like new generation. Okay. Okay. Who tried to live the gospel. So I didn't, I mean, I, I was kind of far away and then I left for the, for the forest and, and, but I kept in touch. And then I would go to the, their summer gatherings, which are called the Mariopolis. Mm. The city of Mary. So we'd mm-hmm. have, it's like a summer retreat for families, for everybody. And, and you just get together. You have a spiritual moments, moments of, of games together, of praying together. But the thing with the Focolari is this, is what really touched me is that it's a collective spirituality. You go to God together. So it's not like I go in my own room and I, I, I just do. No, we need to share. We share our experiences. We help each other. We haven't, you know, keep an eye on, okay, Rudy, you don't, you don't look 
cry it yourself today. What's going on? <laughs> kind of keep each other in check a little you, bit and you, see. You care. Yeah, yeah. You care and you learn how to uh, go outside your shell so that you can live the other, try and live with the other ones going through, understand each other, be there for each other, and sweep each other to away to go to God together because no one is up all the time. Mm-hmm. We all have our yeah. ups and downs, and we all need to have our ups and downs. But that ability to start over and to feel that the other one's going to love you anyway, even though if you messed it up, even though if you crushed their toes or you said something, you know, that courage to come back and say, hey, Rudy, I'm sorry. Mm. You know, I, I really shouldn't have said that. At what point did you say I'm I'm in this. I'm joining the Focolare movement for sure. I it took me several. Some other people saw it in, in me before I did. Mm. But uh, I remember going home after one of these Mariapolises and and crying my eyes out and you know feeling kind of not really totally feeling the call from God, but I was called to something. Uh-huh. And looking at this crucifix in my mom and dad's room, kneeling there, which is now in my room, I have that crucifix mm. because it speaks to me very loudly. And I'm saying, God, if it hurts so much, it must not be what you want from me. <laughs> so I said, no. <laughs> so it, I think it was, it was in 1983, after one of these, these summer Mariapolises, where I... I, it, it was just like, this is it. And I was completely sure of God's call. And three days later, I was in New York and in the Focolare, you know, for this school of formation. And uh-huh. it was tough. Really? It was tough because... I mean, I never really was super, super close because I was working here and there. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it was like, I think he put me through the Rhine to see if I, I was really serious. <laughs> and it was the, 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 I was sure of his call. Uh-huh. So no matter what happens and how hard it was, uh-huh. I'm here, God. So and he tested you. Yes. Yes. What was the most difficult part in the beginning? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I don't. It was. It was changing. I remember. I, I first part. I said. I one of the reasons I didn't want to go in the folklore because I did not like cities. I couldn't. I didn't want to live in a city. And all the folklores are in cities. Uh huh. And I couldn't go out with my friends whenever I wanted to. Because you're living in community. So uh, you, I was adjusting to working in Manhattan uh-huh. as a secretary at that time because I couldn't find a job in forest, forestry, getting on the subway in the morning and seeing these, you know, the people that lived on the streets and, oh, yeah. and people being robbed. And uh, everything was just out of my, it was out of my habitat. Uh-huh. It was like a foreign thing it to you completely. It was just, uh, it, I mean, 
in the beginning, this is, I, I don't think it'll, it'll even be told it. I mean, even I used to wear makeup and my earrings. Uh-huh. So when I would go to New York in the morning, I'd go put my earrings and put a little makeup on. And then I, before I come home, I'd take it off. <laughs> because it took me a while just, just to adapt of what God was asking of me, you know, in that time. But when I then, after these couple of years in New York, and then we go to Lopiano. Lopiano is a little city of the Focolari in Italy. Mm. And it's where everybody from the whole world goes for like a, uh, the formation. Okay. And there are 800 people from over 70 countries wow. there. And of all the vocations, there's a school for priests, school for, for nuns. There's, uh-huh. Because they, of course, the, 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 they're diocesan priests, and, but they, they want to know more about the spirituality. Even the nuns, they do that so they can live their own vocation Mm-hmm. Better, but using even just using the spirituality of the focolari that it's the service of it's at the service of the whole church of all humanity, right? So uh, I have to, to, to I have to be honest that you know when I got to Lopiano, it was just so fantastic. Really, I mean, living with people, I mean from. Every walk of life, all over. You know, I mean, from people from all over different countries, every different language. We uh-huh. all we all spoke Italian, yes, or we sir. tried to <laughs> <laughs> tried to speak Italian. And it, I mean, my first year was just. I mean, I just had a great time. I just had so much fun. And then I started. Then I started. Something started happening, and I realized there that how God gives you the grace when you start. And he gives you the joy. And so he's doing the 90%, 95%, maybe 98%. And our part is like the 2%. Then he starts withdrawing it a little by little. Ah. Where you got to make it happen. You got to put in more effort. You got to put in uh-huh. more effort. You've got to find a way of keeping that union with God, making it grow, listening to his voice. You know, even though we're two or more gathered in my name, you feel his presence. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, there was a time when, when you were asked, what is the, the tough time? Yeah. The tough time, too, is when I wanted to do my, I want to do my own thing. Oh. And I, I kind of say, okay, let me do mine and then I'll do yours, <laughs> you know, certain, and, and that. I, I just feel that over these years, how how God makes way. But I said always through suffering, and through that seeing seeing Him hidden. I remember Kata, I loved her saying, "Where's Jesus forsaken?" So where it's it's the cross, and you'll say, "Oh, it hurts." Oh, that oh that someone said something, or this said something. But it's, you know, it's like he's hiding behind the tree and he pops out. And you say, oh, that's you. Okay. It's you. Okay. It's you in this suffering. It's you in that suffering. Mm-hmm. I can embrace you and I can love you. How did your parents react to you moving, you know, my, out of the country? My mother, and all was, of that? my mother was devastated. Really? My dad took me to the airport. No, your mom didn't even go with you. To the airport? No, she didn't take me. Was she, she mad? I could still see her in the window of the kitchen window, 
And my heart was broken and hers was too. Oh, wow. Because I didn't do it well. I mean, I left very quickly. Oh, you didn't even get them used to the idea. It was just, you just dropped this bomb on them. But my mom actually, I remember when I was, that time when I was kneeling and looking at their crucifix, Uh my mom says, what is it? You want to be a focolarina? And I said, yes, mom. I mean, she knew what mothers know. Uh Mothers know. And it was, it was devastating. It was devastating. Did she think, oh, I'm never going to see you again? I'm not. She told me that I said that. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. And I don't remember that. Can you, can you imagine how terrible it would be for a mother to hear that? Yeah. But Rudy, that's how strong a vocation is. Uh-huh. It's, it, it, it makes you do things. And when I look back, I said, Diane, you're cruel. I say to myself, that was so cruel. But, you know, with time... And when they came to see me in Lopiano, my mom and dad, that was it. I mean, they were totally. And then over the years, and then I found a letter. My mom passed away uh, a couple of years ago, and I found a letter. She saved, I had hundreds of letters that I sent them over the 27 years I was in Italy. Uh-huh. And she saved them all. So that's my diary. Of all my excursions and all uh-huh. in Gen Verde, all the incredible experiences that we lived, I, I went back and I was reading these letters, but I found one where my mom, Sherry, wrote her. I don't think she ever sent it to me, but she wrote to me that I'm sorry that I, it was so hard for me to accept it. But I know, but then, but she did it. She did accept it. And over the years, her, she, mom and dad, and and my brother and sister. I mean, our relationship is so strong. So she never sent you that letter. She never sent it, but I found it. Wow. I found this letter, which totally floored me, and it was after she had just passed away. I can imagine that, but of course, you know, you, had, you know, you had gotten back, in, you know, she she had uh, accepted it. I mean, she. It took her. I think. Be, you know, when I went, when they came to visit me my first year in uh-huh. Lopiano, when I'd just been assigned to Gen Verde, uh-huh. and she, they came and they saw where I was, the people I was living with, the experiences that I was having, uh-huh. and they said, okay. But my mom is, is so special because she, she never complained. And I never heard her pass judgment on anybody. Really? And I, and I, she, you know, I don't know what she was living inside, but she held to it. She was such an example. So she never said anything like, oh, well, if you're going to have a vocation, can't you just be a nun and live in Indiana? She never said anything like that. I've heard that. Oh, she did. I don't think she (laughs) said it, but a lot of other people did. Why Uh do you have to be so far away? Why do Mm. you have to go here? Why do you have to go? So you you knew that that was kind of what she was thinking. If you're going to live a vocation, try to make it close to home. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I was, I was probably so naive. I don't know. And uh-huh. I don't say naive, but I was so caught up mm. in, in what God had asked me. And I had jumped head, head over heels and I had gone in that. You know, you see a lot of things when you look back. Uh-huh. But sometimes it's it's okay to be blinded, yes. you know, because you have you have to follow. 
Uh-huh. Matt Ray. You were falling in love. That's what it was. You were falling in love. Right. Exactly. Tell me more about Gen Verde. Gen Verde. So, oh my gosh, there's so many experiences. Gen Verde, I would say, was experience of experiencing miracles every day. And it's a musical group. It's a musical group. We did did concert tours Uh all over the world. And so we wrote our own songs. We wrote our own musicals. And the composition, but what's different? The different here is that you're together 24-7. So what you live is what goes on stage indirectly. So it's not like a a performing arts group where after the performance, everybody goes their separate ways. They go to their separate homes. This is you're all together all the time. Yeah. So instead of... You're a unit. Instead of going, because after I finished my formation, most most young men and women go back to a country, uh-huh. many times not their own, into a focolari uh, center, focolari house in the different cities, in the uh-huh. big major cities all over the world. So when I was in Lopiano, I had my oboe. The first day I was playing, and then I was playing in the little band there in, in Lo Piano. And then afterwards, instead of going to Focolari, I was recruited for the band. Mm. So they said, Diane, maybe you can come for a year or two and help us in Gen Verde mm-hmm. and do concert tours. So actually, when I was in the school, I got a call saying, hey, can you go and drive the van for a couple of weeks because somebody broke their foot with Gen Verde? So they were going to France. Okay. So I would, I mean, I was, wow, this is cool. Yeah, I'll go to France. <laughs> so I drove the van and uh-huh. I experienced the life, their life. And so driving and driving and driving, going to see the back end of the, of the theaters. Right? Yes. And spend the whole day setting up because we had their own trucks and we set up our lights and our sound equipment and the scenery and spent all day setting up the stage, do the, the sound check practice, point the lights, and then the, the curtain opens and then you take everything down afterwards. So, I mean, long days. The whole thing, yes. Yeah, and then they would go maybe the next morning and they had, had a in the cathedral and they'd be singing the mass in the cathedral or they'd go do a workshop and then they meet with the community. And so every day it just packed. So I came back from those two weeks and I was in bed for two weeks. <laughs> I said, how do they do it? They do it all the time, how right? How do they yeah. do it? So afterwards when I did go, there was the grace. What can I say? And it lasted 25 years. So 25 years. I'm... I mean, what the fact that you are there and you're you have to keep the presence of Jesus in your midst. Otherwise, we couldn't do it. You wouldn't have the inspirations to write the songs. Yes, the energy to go through all of that. Yeah. So I mean, we they were like eighteen-hour work days, and I was I was on the light crew, so I was setting up the lights, and there were like hundred lights we had to set up. Uh-huh. You know, not these two big ones here. We had <laughs> getting on those tall ladders and sending it up. And so when the, when the curtain would open, that would be the time you said, "I'm ready. Let's go to bed." <laughs> but it was the time the audience was saying <laughs> they're expecting your hundred percent. You're already exhausted, and yeah. the show hasn't even started yet. And the yet. show yeah. has not even started. But a lot of times we'd have people from the community come and help us set up. And they said, this was even better than the concert. 
to work with Jesus in our yeah. midst and make things happen. So, uh, Rudy, I mean, the, the most extraordinary things happened during these concerts, especially when for us technically it was not going well. Uh-huh. You could be sure that there were more fruits really? in the audience. Wow. We had a dance. It was called the Dance of Forgiveness. And it, most of our pieces are or they're written uh, connected to the gospel or they're written to, for experiences or they're written for peace or depends where we're going. So there's this dance that was written after our drummer, Lucero, and from Colombia got a call. We were in southern Italy. Her brother had been murdered. He was two weeks from getting married. Oh, wow. And we didn't under, no one understand why. So she uh-huh. had to leave the tour, go home to her family to bring the balsam of forgiveness, to be there with her family and help them forgive who did wrong to their family. Yeah. And so we wrote a, composed a dance. Joelma, if you remember Joelma, who was here before to give her <laughs> yes. experience, she danced this with Jen Verde. Mm. And it, it was experience of a clenched fist and sign of vengeance, uh-huh. which later opened up at the words of the gospel, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. Uh-huh. So it was a, a, a sheet carried on the shoulders of a group of people to signify suffering, which is shared. Okay. So this dance, I mean, we ended up doing it also at a lot of our workshops, and it was not only part of the concert, but the strongest experience I have ever remember of people, because afterwards they would write their their impressions of the concert, and they would leave it with us, and Uh we continue corresponding with a lot of people these years. So there was a young woman... She said, thank you for that dance. It touched my heart so much, and I want to share this with you. She says, when I was four, my father killed my mother. Oh, wow. And I had never wanted anything to do with my father. Uh After seeing that dance, I decided I will get on the train, go to Regina Celli in Rome to bring my father my forgiveness. Wow. She did it, and after two months, her father died. Wow. And it all came from that dance. Wow. Other people wrote us saying, you know, after seeing that, I realized that I have to go pick up the phone and call this person who I haven't spoken to for 30 years and re- reconnect with them. And you're doing and this through them. dance, communicating this yeah. idea of forgiveness. I mean, it, and also because before the... Curtain opens. Uh-huh. We get in a circle and we do a prayer called the consensorate, which one says part and we all repeat kind of and we ask for a special grace for that concert mm-hmm. that also that we even be empty so that God may 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 shine, that He comes through. And we ask there we ask for forgiveness from each other because of course. There's friction uh-huh. during the day when you're setting up. Whoa, yeah. get those! <laughs> why don't they get the lights up? Because I got to get that scenery going. I mean, yes. if that doesn't happen, everything has to connect, and there's there's technical difficulties uh-huh. and everything. So I, it's tough. I mean, it, it, you got to sweat. Mm-hmm. You know, you really do. 
and we before the curtain opened, that's the premise. And on the stage, there are no stars. People are, are looking for that one person there that's going to take the lead, that's uh-huh. going to be better, and that's going to come out more. But it's everybody comes out in their little particular, mm-hmm. you know. So there was one concert there in the beginning when I started that I said I had the uh, the old man. I said, you know, when you just can't move to start, and I said I do not want to go on the stage. I just, I just was feeling ugly and angry. Okay, <laughs> I just didn't want to do the show. Did not, and I had to go in and play. 16 bars of an oboe solo after Therese, very angelic, and just playing this song on the piano. Uh-huh. And then I would walk out and I would play these 16 bars and the piece would be over. I was fighting with myself in the, behind the curtains there, holding my elbow. Uh-huh. God, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So, but the time was coming. I had to do it. You know, the show yeah. must go on. I said, okay, I'll go. I'll play this out of love for you, but you tonight do a miracle. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, putting God against the yeah, wall? Yeah, right. That's courageous. <laughs> but that's how much it cost me to go out. It was tough. I said, I'll do it, but you do a miracle. Uh-huh. So I went out, played that piece with all I had, and went out. And I forgot about it. And I was, I was resolved. I was okay. You know? uh-huh. After the show, I was rolling up the mats. You know, we were starting to take things down. This, we're in Matera. It was in southern Italy. This man with a cowboy hat. Can you imagine if you're in Texas? Okay, you'll see somebody with a cowboy hat. Yeah. But in southern Italy, came to the front of the stage, called me over. And he says, were you the one playing the oboe there? Yeah. Ah, he says, I teach clarinet at the conservatory, you know, nice concert. But I wanted to tell you this. I came with my wife, and this was going to be the last thing we ever did together because we were going to separate. But after the concert, we decided to give it a go. I says, that's beautiful, you know. And then they came to to an after-concert meeting. Uh The next day, listen to this one. The next day, because we have we go to mass every day, and like at the, during the tour, we have priests come to say the mass. Right? Uh-huh. So I was at the door, oh, and I opened the door for the priest when he came, and he looked at me. He said, "Were you the one playing that oboe solo last night?" He said, "While you were playing, I felt I had to convert." Wow. And I said, "Oh my gosh." Wow. And I. I was so taken, not only by the fact that God took me seriously, uh-huh. but he showed, he showed me how he used my, my conversion Wow! and how, what he did through that. And that happened. And then other times, I mean, I asked him on my very last concert, I asked uh-huh. him again, and I, was, I, have, I wasn't in crisis, but it was my last concert I wanted to do really... A package well tied up and decorated uh-huh. to throw it up to God of all these years. And I says, can you do another miracle for me? And he did another one that time too. Wow. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that first time you asked for a miracle, he gave you two. 
<laughs> me too. He did. He did. He did. That's fantastic. That dance of the forgiveness we uh-huh. brought because we would do workshops in prisons. Oh wow! And, and this is all over the world. Yeah. So here we were in Spain. Okay. And so we we would divide up in a group. There was dance. There was percussion. There was choir, and so. The dance group did the dance of forgiveness. Okay. And they did it with a group of women in prison. Uh huh. I was with a percussion and locked in the cell with these these men. Uh huh. This guy had a scar that went from his ear all the way down through his neck. And the thought of being. <laughs> Shut up in Excel. Yeah, locked in there with him, yes. I mean, there was uh, (laughs) this group of people like this, Uh you know, and and it would, but they were my brothers in that moment. Uh Uh-huh. So being at ease with them, they were at ease with us. Uh Uh-huh. And we, you know, we went into this, you know, these, and then we'd go at the end, we'd do a performance in, in this atrium area outside. But really touched me was this dance of forgiveness done by this group of women because they had a lot to forgive and to be forgiven for. Uh huh. So they were doing this and opening their, you know, doing the whole act, tears rolling down their, their face, tears flowing. And they would get up the microphone and they'd share their experience of what it was to do this, these workshops. Wow. So so they were taught the dance there. They were taught then, it, yeah, a simplified version. Uh-huh. So this is the experience, and Jen Baird is still doing that, and they'll do it here when they come, uh-huh. these workshops. Now they're doing it, like, in high schools and, and, and you know, more, even three days if you can. Mm-hmm. And it gives confidence. You know, people who would not come out of their shell... People will think that they have to be who knows what to do, go on stage. Uh-huh. But here, it, it, it's not what you do, it's who you are and what you give. So, you know, I wasn't a super musician, mm-hmm. but you bring out the talents of each other. Because where there's love and there's not judgment, you don't have to reach. Certainly you want to have that professionality and you want to achieve a certain level. But you, you go down to each other's level. Where are you at? Uh-huh. And you help each other to, to bring that out. So, I mean, the experience of these workshops is incredible. And I, you know, I, we, I had it the same way with me. I, they bring out my talents. Then they had me learn the saxophone, and I was dancing on the stage with the sax. And it's just because... You could do that in that atmosphere. It's not the competition. It's not who, it's, it's that expression together to bring out the presence of God in our midst who nothing is impossible. And what's cool is that it's an actual physical act that you can do. Like, like you said, forgiveness, because mm-hmm. forgiveness is something really abstract, but here you like, you're doing an action, kind of practicing forgiveness physically. That's awesome that you can, it helps you make that connection. Right, right, right. So you said that 25 years with Jen Verde, 
And you said that God really helped you get through all of that. Is it something similar to, I've heard stories about, you know, artists who've had a hard time, you know, when they go on tour, when they go on the road, you know, it, it, it gets difficult for them. And sometimes these tours are just like a couple of years long, but this is 25 years. Did you, did you face any similar challenges through the 25 years that you're, you know, performing, going around the world and doing all of these things? Uh, I think the last few years was physically mm. challenging because we had to load the trucks. It was nice when we were on, uh, we were in Japan and we were, were doing things out because then we had people carting our stuff around and helping us load, you know. But uh, I, it was, I, I just am so grateful for having had this experience to be able to share it, to... Uh, I don't, you know, you you just you took one thing at a time, Rudy. Uh huh. So I mean, you just kind of you did it, and the thing is, is with these daily miracles happening, it's just like it re recharge your batteries constantly. Uh huh. <laughs> because you could see it has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not because you're good at it, but it's because you let God work through you. So, I mean, when people say, I am, I am not good enough, I, I, I feel the call for a vocation, but I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that, and I can't do this, I can't do that. Uh-huh. I just say, just abandon yourself. I mean, just follow it, that call. God will take care of the rest. You just, just follow him. Uh-huh. And he'll give you the energy. Not only that, he makes your life something that you would... Never have been able to do it if you hadn't said that yes. Uh huh. Like I told you in the beginning, I don't like cities. Yes. And I want to be with my friends, go out and, you know. Uh huh. I have never been in a city until December. I lived in the, in, in, I've been traveling the world around, uh huh. Seeing every place, but been living in, in the beautiful Tuscany town and then living in, in Hyde Park, New York, where, you know, in the middle of the woods. Uh huh. So, God knows. <laughs> God knew you're not comfortable in cities, so but he kept you kind of all a, the focalaries in cities. Uh-huh. He but he put me he I mean he he he's got a plan and he knows better. Uh-huh. They say he knows better. So go for it. <laughs> just I would just say, you know, just we have to go for it. I, I don't regret it. How many different countries have you traveled to? As a you know, as, a, as part of the Focolare and well, Gen Verde, the year of Europe, just about everything. Now Gen Verde was in. They're just they're in Austria now. They were in, in Romania, Poland. I was I was in Poland. I was in uh, the Czech Republic during the war. Mm. So that was when. You know, the you could see all of the like the sandbags up. We had to hide the trucks. Oh wow! And warehouses because the, the country right now where the border people to come to the concert had to go through different countries to get in. Everybody uh-huh. was put through a check. Yeah. I mean, it was dangerous times. We didn't know if we would be in the middle of the bombing. So uh-huh. we were in Chestakova with the Pope, uh, John Paul II, for the World Youth Day. And most of, okay, the Eastern Europe and 
all of Italy, every from top to bottom, every other European country. And you said Japan. Japan, we were invited by the Buddhists. Oh. To do a concert tour. Wow. The Risho Kosekai Buddhist movement. Uh-huh. Because they wanted and we were doing a concert called First Pages. It's on Kata Story. So we were we're we're doing that and they says we want to you because they had they they got out of it, but they could to live their Buddhism. Uh-huh. And they, we would go around to all the many different cities and do a kuriokai, which is an exchange. They would share experiences. We would share ours. Uh-huh. So this we did from every city to city. We were in the Philippines. We were in Korea for the Eucharistic Congress with John Paul II. It was in Korea for the Asian Games, the opening of the Olympics, the Asian Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Canton in China, we had to take God out of all of our songs, the word God. Really? Wow. And we had in guardian angels following us everywhere. You know? Oh, yeah. making sure that you... We had to, we were accompanied everywhere. I remember yeah. seeing the streets full of rice and people barefoot in all these cars. And then uh-huh. we were in Macau. Three, year, three months in Brazil, which absolutely changed me. The love of the Brazilians, I came back not afraid to hug people. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Brazil, and the, the Brazilians are just amazing. So a lot of countries, and, and since I left, they've been in, in a lot more countries after that, in the Holy Land, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of encounters with Pope Francis. We've, we've sung at the Vatican many, many, many times, and done concerts in the, the Paul VI Hall for the different canonizations, for priest congresses. Mm-hmm. We were in, in Piazza San Pietro with uh, Mother Teresa. And, wow. and when John Paul II was there for the move, you know, the big manifestation with the movements, uh-huh. there were 20,000 20, people. So we, perf- we had a, a choir uh-huh. with, all, with, with the neocatechumens, and um, Catholic action and, you know, different, all the different movements, we formed one choir. So that was also the unity expressed through the movement. Nice. So then there were a lot of working together with uh-huh. that. <sighs> so when did you know that it was time to, to move on? It was in 2012 when I felt maybe it's time, you know, to... Also to give more, give a chance for the other young people to come and have this experience. Uh-huh. Open up a slot for somebody else. I, yeah, I, really. And also to come back to, the, uh, I was happy that I was assigned to the United States, come back to my country uh-huh. and, and reconnect more with, with the people here. So then I went to Minneapolis Luminosa, which is like a little city of the Focolare in, in Hyde Park, New York, which, which serves all of North America, okay. the whole North America. And I stayed there for 10 years. I worked in, in a nursing home as a recreation therapist. Oh. And so my resume was, my resume was a little bit unique. Uh-huh. But that kind of opened me, opened the door for me there. And I think that helped me get away from my shydom a lot because I was organizing <laughs> activities for the people and, and, and got to love the elderly and, and play. They were, the, they were so encouraging. I mean, they had me play the piano for them and, 
And I would do, uh, you know, this is funny because it's a secular nursing home. Uh-huh. And one of my programs was rosary meditation. I do every mm-hmm. Wednesday morning. So I get on the loudspeaker and I says, good morning, everybody. Today's activity is rosary and meditation. If any, anyone has any prayer requests, let us, the recreation department knows so the whole building. Uh-huh. And, and, but it was beautiful because the people who needed something yes. also an assistance for their last part of their life. Yes. And, you know, I had a lot of connections with the, the clergy of the different churches uh-huh. that we'd meet every month and we have lunch together and get to know each other. Hmm. So I remember one time they asked for a, a Lutheran priest if I could find one. It was Sunday morning. Where am I going to find Sunday uh, morning? Yeah. So I Someone ended, who's free. So I ended up ca- calling Pastor Wayne and he called me right back. He said, Diane, what do you need? I said, I have Ruby here. She's end of life. Her family's asking uh-huh. for, you know, for the, to come and visit her. Uh-huh. So he went, he came, I'll be there in 15 minutes. He came, went into Ruby's room. His, her family was there. She had opened her eyes for him, and while he was giving the prayer, she passed away. Wow. So, I mean, all of them, these these connections of the, the, the local pastors, little by little, they all came uh-huh. at one time or another. And, yeah. And also here, that, that bond of respect, of, of love, of supporting each other in our different vocations and our different ministries. Yes. How working together, I mean, we would have the walk of the cross that would involve all the, the churches of the a town and, and we'd walk together and do the stations of the cross and Good Friday, mm-hmm. have different occasions, you know, respecting each other's differences, but not letting that be an obstacle to our dialogue and to working together, and, you know, to the love between us. How long were you there? I was 10 years. I was seven years in the nursing home. And if you want to hear a little funny story, I can tell you a funny one. So uh, there was this this elderly gentleman, he was 91, and he was dying. And I would go in and and visit him. Herb, his name is. And I would sit sit near him. I just hold his hand. And I said, you know, Herb... And he looked, he looked at me and said, I'm really sorry I have to tell you this. He says, you know how much I love you, but I don't think we have a future together. <laughs> <laughs> While you're holding his hand and he's like... <laughs> he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I don't think we have a future. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet, though. You know, a lot of people, and I found so many experiences where you come in and the people, the lab, they don't want to see you. They don't want to talk to you. But, we, you know, when you go beyond that, and in the end, you end up creating a beautiful relationship where people, they can pour out what they have in them mm-hmm. to create that, that possibility. And with the families, when I had my going away party in Luminosa, uh-huh. I had a lot of the families and my colleagues were there and they would get up and they would share their experiences of what it was or during COVID wow. where you'd have to do the Zooms. Uh, yes. And I actually adopted some of these families because it, it just really, we had you know, such good friends over Zoom and 
and how these relationships continue. Did you ever have the desire to, you know, um, to have a family of your own? Of course. Of course I did. And I, you know, I was almost engaged. I was seeing somebody for five years. Uh-huh. But inside of me, that I, it just wasn't quite enough. Uh-huh. I said, if, if I would have gotten married, I'd probably be married five times by now. <laughs> because it, if my vocation was to marry God, uh-huh. nothing would have been, nothing would have been up to that par, you know. Mm. So I did, and I, and I, I, the vocation's beautiful, and I see so many beautiful families, and I'm so grateful. But I don't think any husband is as faithful as mine is. <laughs> you know, I just have to live up to that. And I'm never, and I, I'm not going to be, but he's so merciful. And he walks me, walks me on the walk. And there's a future with him. And there's a future. <laughs> absolutely a future. So you've had a lot of experiences through all the years that you've been with Jen Verde, huh? Yeah, you know what? And one of the other women in Jen Verde says, when I get to heaven, I want to know all the people who through Jen Verde found a vocation, who who had life-changing experiences. I, I just still remember a priest who after one of our, our records came out, because we published like maybe 70 records and 1,500 concerts, or what, I mean, a lot, different languages, he says, Genverde, you saved my vocation by listening to one of the songs, the words of one of the songs that you wrote. He was thinking about leaving? Yes. The priesthood? Yes. He, he, had, he was, I guess, had one of those big trials uh-huh. and felt he was losing his vocation. And it was a song really on, on suffering of, of Jesus, of embracing the cross and taking up your cross. And he said, thank you. I mean, wow. I, I met him personally. Uh-huh. He's a priest from Italy, but spent time in the U.S. And he said, you know, that song saved my vocation. And wow. other people discovered their vocations. And how did he find that song? Where- oh, he loved our songs. I mean, uh-huh. so he would listen. And when we had a new uh, album out, he, uh-huh. would, he would have it and he'd be playing it. And... Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. There's a lot of be- beautiful songs. You can go on, you just go on the, they have a Spotify and YouTube and all. You could and see. what do they look for? You look for Jen Verde. Jen Verde. And it'll pop uh-huh. up. You can listen to either the, there's things in all the different languages. One of our concerts, at first pages was, we did it in 13 different languages. Okay. Because every country you went to, we sang in the language of the country. Oh, Even nice. Japanese. Oh, do you have stuff on YouTube too? Yes. Okay, so if they want to see any of your performances, it's all up there. You can Spotify, see YouTube, things, yeah. And then that. also go on Jen Verde's website, and then you get it direct. You could see where there where there are. You can ask some questions, listen to their productions. What's the URL for that? Do you know that off the top of your head? <sighs> Just do G E N V E R D E, and dot it is is the website. I think. Okay. Take a look. It'll and, pop up. And then if anyone's interested in Focolare, how do they... Focolare.org, O-R-G, okay. or Focolare.us for the United States. Okay. And there is there is a lot out there. And you can maybe come to our summer summer gatherings or different gatherings happening 
in the different parts of the U.S. No more about the, the movement yes. and, and the life. Yes, yes. And then just, I'm in Atlanta. Give me a call. <laughs> and then, like we said earlier, you're going to be here. Well, the, the group is going to be here. Jen Verde is going to be here. They're going to be coming. And I'm saying don't lose the opportunity because you will not come out like you went in. I promise. And this will be, did in you say? October. October. This year. They're going to do a performance. I believe it's in um, St. Anthony of Padua. They're going to do something, yeah, right? They're going to be, they're, they'll be doing workshops, concerts. They'll be singing for masses. And will we get to see that the the forgiveness dance? Oh, I don't think so. But that should be online somewhere. That's a, online. So well, we can I look at that know. one. You could try it. It's called La Danza del Perdono. La Danza yeah. del Perdono. Del Perdono in Italian. I don't think it'll come up in English, but try it. I'm going gonna, gonna to look that one up. Look it up. Yes. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll post something on our, our, you know, our yeah. social media, a link to that. And for the, the World Youth Day in Lisbon, they composed a song called Girl with a Mission. It's on the theme of the World Youth Day. So that just came out. It's a music video. Cool. Yeah. It's nice. What brought you to Atlanta? Atlanta, well, after I was asked to go to Atlanta because I said, Diane, I think Atlanta is a perfect fit for you. And I says, okay, let me, let me, I'm ready to go. I mean, I've been in New York 10 years. Uh-huh. And after all these years, since 80, 83 to last year, I've never been in a city, but now I was ready to go to one. And actually, I really, really, really like it. So we live in a little town. It's called Tucker. It's right out of sight of Atlanta. And we're renting a house. I live with two other Americans, one from Argentina and one from China. There are five of us in Focolare House. Uh-huh. And I think it's been like a magnet. There were 100 people at our open house. And every Friday we have pizza night, so a lot of youth come and spend time with us and just hang out. I mean, nothing special. Uh-huh. And I got a piano, and that's a whole other experience. The piano, I'm not going to—I don't want to make it too long, but the, the, the experience of the providence that comes along at the right time. Uh-huh. And I say, Rudy, the words of the gospel are true. Who leaves father, mother— fields for my sake will find a hundred i've had a hundred families a hundred homes a hundred countries a hundred of everything and i feel his words are right on target i've experienced it in my own flesh and blood that's fantastic thank you so much for coming in and you know telling your story and your experiences well, thank you for bringing it out. This is my first time. I hope that that who listens will feel the love across these wires, across the whoever hears them, to feel that to listen to the voice of God. He'll make a miracle. He'll make it your life something else out of this world. There you go. God bless you. Thank you. You too.